In this edition of the podcast, honouring history without necessarily celebrating it. The Dance of the Remediators, currently installed at the lockup in Newcastle, recognises the community and social structure built around the local coal industry. Artists Heidi Axelson and Hugo Moline recall coal's long photosynthetic memory and asks whether we can salvage the future. I'm Tim Stackpool and this is Inside the Gallery. Thanks for downloading the podcast and once again we acknowledge the original custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced and downloaded and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And as always, a transcript of this conversation is available in the description of this episode at www.insidethegallery.com.au and that's thanks to the contribution made by the Australian Arts Channel, which is available to view for free at www.australianartschannel.com.au It began as a vague sense of unease, unconnected to anything in particular. Ordinary objects of the built environment began to take on a threatening demeanour, looming over the bright and baking streets. Then, one day, the children disappeared. An entire city of empty beds. Each child had left a note saying, Gone underground, stay safe. Their bed sheets were gone too. Created by artists Heidi Axelson and Hugo Moline, The Dance of the Remediators is an archive of a possible future, a materialised dream sequence of people being called into action by Cole's humble living relatives. Here at the edge of a climate calamity, the domestic leftover, the soft and slow, the fragile and careful are made mighty. At the lockup, first built for the temporary detainment of criminals in Newcastle in 1861, but reconfigured and relaunched as a dedicated multidisciplinary contemporary art space in 2014, the Dance of the Remediators prototypes earnest and absurd devices, gentle megastructures and everyday actions for remaking the world through care, play, wonder and hope. The artists Heidi Axelson and Hugo Moline are a collaborative creative duo working between the discursive criticality of arts practice and the applied spatial and urban scales of architecture and design. Their work is deeply site-specific, typically being generated by long-term collaborations with particular places and the complex overlapping communities who dwell and pass through them. But right now, Heidi Axelson joins us from one part of Newcastle and Hugo Moline connecting with us from the other side of town. Thanks to you both for catching up with us via Zoom on Inside the Gallery. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Now, the Dance of the Remediators, this is quite extensive and there's probably quite a bit of history there. Can you tell us about the inception, your choice of location and perhaps the story you wanted to tell? Do you want to go first, Heidi? So, yeah, the Dance of the Remediators, it really come about, I think, or maybe it's been a, a you know, a project growing for some time for us but it has kind of all come together by being in Newcastle and um, as a kind of a response 
to this place where coal has kind of been is like one of the foundations of this place since well particularly since yeah colonization invasion so mm. um mm. that's yeah in a way it's it is quite a site-specific work and we were invited by uh, the lockup to develop this work and so it's been yeah really fascinating process in adapting and creating these ideas within the context of the former um, police station and lockup. But Hugo, tell me the story that inspired this installation and ultimately how it came about to motivate you to put it together. Like Heidi said, it's it's a kind of it's a conversation with the place of Newcastle. If I can just put it in the context of the works that we've done before, when we were living in Sydney, we did the Owner Occupy project, which was looking at housing affordability. And then when we were up in the living in the Blue Mountains, we did the plant agency suite of projects, which were looking at the relationship between plants and humans and this kind of mode of practice that we've been experimenting with where we kind of look, look at a seemingly intractable issue like mm. real estate and housing affordability in Sydney or like the kind of the coal industry and climate change, which is so so ever-present here in Newcastle. Like living here now, we see the bulk carriers go out, we see the trains going past us. Our neighbours work in the industry, it's, it's, it's everywhere. The mode that we're operating in is looking at these things from from a kind of a speculative storytelling perspective. So imagining something that could happen that would completely transform or another another way of relating within this issue. And when we got the invitation from the lockup, we saw it as a kind of an opportunity and the space itself of the lockup, this kind of like heavy sandstone building with incredibly heavy history and very reminiscent of the tunnels that are all the way under the city of Newcastle, most of which are kind of unmapped and unknown from the early colonial period and kind of th thinking about these ideas of tunneling and also wanting to do something that would create something different, create a, a kind of a, a space of imagination and hope within this heavy and dark space of the lockup. Something else we've been exploring for a long time is ideas of the self-built and the self-made and how people can kind of act on the world themselves. And something we've always been fascinated by is the way children do that so naturally, particularly the kind of the format of the cubby house. So weaving these things together, we looked at, we started thinking of this story of one day everyone wakes up in, in Newcastle, the city's never named, but in Newcastle, and the children have all disappeared and they've just le left a note saying that they've gone underground. And then little by little, these kind of strange cubby house structures start erupting out of the out of the underground and start getting in the way and tangling people up and taking over the train tracks and taking over the, the coal machinery. And we're really interested in this kind of how the soft and the vulnerable, like the cubby house, it's 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 made of bed linen. It's 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 not it's not the kind of epitome of a powerful movement, but how through accumulation and through the slow kind of gathering of people into it can really kind of within the story become a kind of cocoon to transform the city and transform the industry into something else. And I guess just the other part of that was wanting to really approach coal itself from another angle. Um, I think in, in kind of imagining that new possible future, we've created these um, video works that are introducing new kind of rituals around the relationship to coal. So there's like 
kind of tenderly washing the coal and burying the coal and um, inviting people to kind of imagine if we did really treasure this as a the material substance and and it's been quite interesting through the exhibition people are really have said oh wow I've never realized how beautiful it is you know how it glitters how it feels how how we could kind of reconfigure that relationship to this substance which um and maybe maybe that in some way is part of a little bit part of a solution going forward with climate change like how can we reimagine our relationship to our material and physical world Mm. so that's kind of an invitation that we've made I wonder if I could get some clarification on exactly what we experience when we see this installation. So we've talked a lot about your motivation and perhaps the story that's being told, but what can we expect to see when we visit this? Yeah, so when you come into the gallery, there's kind of this flannelette bedsheet, ramshackle type structure that you first encounter. So it's quite a tactile and kind of nostalgic type feeling fabrics (laughs) Um, and they're kind of strung over these rough timber frames that are being kind of hastily put together but quite you know quite beautifully and cleverly designed to be erected quickly and collapsed down quickly and then that takes you through the tunnels of the former prisoner cells and you peer in through these into these different cells and are viewing video works which is footage of around different scenes in Newcastle in the industrial environment as well as we yeah there's footage there of the recent blockade at Newcastle Port and so there's kind of these hints of what's happening now and then what's happening in the future and then you come through to the former exercise yard and in there is a bit of an immersive environment with misting and cooling happening in the space as well as moss growing It's basically kind of reconstructed a tunnel within the tunnel, uh, which was part of wanting to have it as another space. So the the cubby house itself becomes almost like a mega structure and a parasite within the galleries. And you have the sensation of being transported to these other places within Newcastle, which then um, links in to the narrative, which is spoken as an audio track. Then there's, as Heidi was describing before in some of the other rooms, there are these almost ritualistic meditations on coal through through video works, but combining with rotating elements or different things. There's many different media that you're talking about here. Between the two of you are in an artistic partnership, how do you break up the roles when you're putting in an installation like this? How far back does that go? Uh, we started mm. collaborating 14 years ago. Um, And my background is as as sculptor and Hugo as an architect. So, yeah, we kind of come at things, you know, from quite different angles but, you know, find a meeting place (laughs) and also I think push push our work further as a result of kind of coming at, at it from those different perspectives. Perhaps my interest is like quite uh in the materiality and the textural and also the kind of framing of things I don't know if that's fair to say and Hugo is also um brings that expertise of kind of visioning the Mm. structures beforehand as well as the kind of intricate collapsible structures and kind of these nimble forms that can be erected and taken down quite quickly conceptually I guess we um these ideas are something that we like live and breathe in our lives together as artists but also you know as partners in life and parents as well and in kind of living in this contemporary condition that we live in (laughs) so yeah the ideas are kind of something that come about together obviously Mm. in this case Hugo would I be right in thinking that 
the lockup makes the offer, then you both go in. Hugo, you can see how the architecture can lend itself to perhaps some of the vision that that Heidi has, and that's how the collaborative thought comes about. Or is there plenty of artistic input from from you? Or perhaps there's a a tempering of the artistic vision that Heidi has because you have to look at the practical implications of how you're going to make this work in this space from your architectural background. Yeah, I think I think that's often the assumption that people have of our practice, but I think I think in some ways I've been drawn into collaborating in an artistic practice mm. with Heidi because it's a space outside the practicalities of architecture where you're not working at the behest of a wealthy client you're able to explore the questions you're not just finding solutions so i think it's actually more complex than that and mm. and yeah things things like materiality and overall visions for things which you would maybe place in architecture are actually being provided by Heidi, whereas aspects of the narrative and conceptual structure, I'm often working on those bits. I, de- I definitely bring my architectural training to things like the designing and building of the structures, but I think it's much it's much more of a conversation. And I think that's what's so exciting about collaborative practice is that neither one of you really know where it's going. And I think we both yeah, take also, turns. Also kind of nor where it's come from. That's the nature of a collaboration. It's kind of not a, a you know, you can't really cut and slice who owns what or mm. who, you know, mm. or where it came from. Yeah. I was thinking that perhaps that's where the magic happens because the obvious way in which people might consider you operating in is not the way it actually happens. And for that reason, you come up with these unique structures and these unique messages. But in that sense, in in terms of this particular work, The Dance of the Remediators, where were your challenges? First of all, Heidi, with you, where did you feel that perhaps you had to make compromises where things weren't going to turn out the way you'd hoped to? And perhaps some of those surprises that turned up that you felt really actually nailed the message for you? I guess the challenge, um, there were a couple with the space itself, like it, it's it's quite a large kind of Warren type space um, that you discover through all these different cells. And we really had the ambition that we wanted to make the work immersive so that it did encompass the whole, the entire space. So I guess there was kind of that, the anxiety that we, we wouldn't be able to do that in such a way. But I think we overcame that with these the formation of the structures that kind of open and collapse and how we could kind of grow that through the gallery. I would say there was kind of a bit of apprehension around the trying to address this issue in another way and and talking about coal in this place, which, Mm. you know, it is such an important industry here for Newcastle. It really, you know, underpins so much of the economy and and people's livelihoods. And so there was kind of a a bit of awareness that, you know, we're working with an issue that is sensitive but also exciting to kind of shine kind of a new perspective on it that in itself I think was something that we worked our way through there's one one of the cells is an installation of a um a video work of a waterfall where there's this incredible mossy landscape that the the waterfall is trickling over and in that gallery in front of the video projection installed this rotating pile of coal that's kind of so the shadow is swirling on top of the projection Mm. and that in itself was the kind of work where we couldn't really conceive it before you know it was actually in the space and the walls of the cell itself kind of have this weird mossy like graffiti original 
paint all over the walls. So it, it just kind of all came together mm. in this way that you can't anticipate until you're in there and, and doing it. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And how about putting this together? I mean, coming into the holiday period as it was, a lot of people clock off. Did you have difficulty getting, I guess, tradies or other people to help you do the installation? Was that a challenge too? Uh, it was more the juggle of our time availability um, just in the lead up to Christmas, being parents of young children as well with, you know, school ceremonies and Christmas parties and all of the mm. stuff that kind of the juggernaut of the <laughs> end of the year. So producing this work at the same time was um yeah, quite a challenge. I think I think what Heidi was talking about with the main anxiety being how do you talk about coal in this place of such polarized connections to it mm. and try to have a fresh conversation. And you know, at ver- at various points in the process, I was worried that we would be hated for demonizing coal, but then at other points I was worried that uh, we would be hated by kind of celebrating coal and really we were trying to do something altogether different. Mm. So far it, it feels like people have understood the the nuance of what we're trying to do and the fresh way of honoring coal as a way of letting it rest. We always knew that the lockup itself had the challenges of, you know, you can't you can't fix to a lot of the walls because they're oh, yeah. built heritage, yeah. and so architectural challenge and joy for me in this project was uh, coming up with this kind of fairly simple tripod structure that was kind of flexible enough that we could work it in different ways within that existing space. And another part of the kind of surrounding the main part of the structure before it goes into the tunnel are a series of photographs of the structure erected in different configurations in the industrial landscapes of Newcastle, which feed into the narrative as well. So we'd had a go at making it and of it kind of blowing over in the wind mm. and of the court security people coming and questioning us and yes. having follow-ups from the police and those kind of challenges out in the field, yeah. From a practical side, though, how long did you have in the lockup? Because it seems as though you had to develop on the run a little bit. Did you have much time to be able to do that or did you have to do a lot more work in your studio and then bring it in and then adapt it once you got on location? We had two weeks roughly broken up <laughs> with other commitments to do the installation in the lockup but so a lot of it was developed in our studio beforehand and through like making yeah making models um kind of prepping all the structure gathering all the materials mm. um but altogether we were i guess started conceiving the ideas about six months ago which is when we were invited wow okay that's a yeah. pretty quick turnaround i would think yeah, yeah, it was. Did that put pressure on perhaps the opportunities that you have to sit back and think about this artistically and work out your messaging? I, I guess, you know, you do have to have a deadline. I do understand that. But would you prefer it a little bit longer? Well, we actually were really fortunate in that soon after we were invited, we had a residency lined up in at the Museum of Loss and Renewal in Italy. Mm-hmm. And so we had a kind of a period there in the residency to purely just work on the ideas and the, the thinking behind Great. the whole exhibition. So that kind of period of time when you can disconnect from, you know, 
all your kind of ordinary responsibilities yeah. in life and, and really just focus on the ideas is just priceless. <laughs> so yeah. I think that I think that really helped. And that has often been the case in previous works of ours where we've had this kind of opportunity to step out and really mm. reflect on the kind of bigger ideas and pictures. Yeah, looking at. great opportunity. Now, Hugo, going back to what you said about coal, the message that sometimes people take is that perhaps you might be recognising coal for what it is or perhaps on the other side not wanting to recognise coal and move on from that. What message do you think you've left with people or what message would you like to leave with people regarding coal and the fact that you really can't erase it from Newcastle. Hopefully what we've left people with is a sense of wonder and gratitude for this material, which is hundreds of millions of years in the making, mm. is the work of countless generations of plants to create this kind of incredibly stunning and beautiful substance, that that substance has history go going back to the Awabakal people in this land. Of course, we acknowledge all of the damage that's been done in the mining of it, but also communities have grown up around that and labour movements have grown up mm. through those industries. The city that we're living in from its very inception, from the naming of it after another coal town in the far north of Britain, mm. it's so linked to this substance and to feel that wonder and that gratitude and let that be a cause to now let that substance rest yeah. and move, move on to other things. Yeah. So it's a recognition of the history, which is impossible to ignore, but it's time to move on. It's time to reinvent. Mm. But, but there's no possibility of, of forgetting or, in fact, leaving it because it's still part of the output of Newcastle. And kind of as I was talking to a material scientist who's been very heavily involved in decarbonising industries, her, her main point was it's not coal. It's the burning of coal that's the problem. Mm. Like coal can still be a very valuable feedstock for all kinds of materials from carbon fibre to types of polymers. And so it's the burning of this wonderful thing that needs to stop. It has great properties, but depending on how it's managed, it has plenty of evil as well. Yeah, yeah. This is a big job for both of you, I think. Are there other collaborators that perhaps we should give give some credit to? Um, well, there's the lockup itself, or the you know providing the the space and mm. the um, and also the invitation um, for this. And you know, the lockup is an amazing experimental art space. So I think that that exists itself. You know, um, is really important to acknowledge for the ecosystem of the arts in in New South Wales, I think, and beyond. Then in itself, in the making of the work, it's more about the um, all of the suppliers and kind of networks that we've formed in the making of, of it. So there was uh, round two timbers where we sourced all the recycled hardwood of cuts. There was all the op shops where we sourced all the flannelette bed sheets. Yep, great. Um, there was the technical staff at the um, University of Newcastle who helped us with printing and with video editing and that kind of thing. And obviously people who also helped care for our children while we yes. did all these extra bits and pieces yes, to create yes. the work. The people who sold, sold us the coal was an oh, interesting yes. yeah, absolutely. relationship. Oh, yeah. How did you source that? The coal itself, we found a coal transport company based in Carrington and they basically sell the coal that is not deemed good enough to export them in themselves were a really awesome group of guys who helped us 
get three, about, what was it, two-thirds of a tonne of coal delivered to the lockup, <laughs> um, which we then, we you know, hauled into the gallery space and now is being distributed through visitors coming in the gallery and they invited to take coal with them away and bury it. Right. Yeah, and the, the con- like I really appreciated the conversations that we had with, with those guys. You know, they were like, oh, what, what's this exhibition all about? And explained it and they're like oh so you're working against us and I'm like oh you know not really we're trying to appreciate you know what this substance is and so there was just this really Mm. great dialogue that happened and uh, you know Mm. I I really appreciate the kind of openness and positivity that people have brought to the whole whole exercise. And Hugo this is it's it feels very industrial and there are plenty of artists and and artist installations that deal with industry is this something though quite different for the pair of you to work on? We've always, I mean, we've always been really interested in and appreciative of people who make things. Uh, we kind of started our collaborative practice together in Parramatta, working a lot with communities of makers, often quite old school people making things like air conditioning ducts and things like that. We would incorporate their practices into our public artworks. So yeah. it's, it's something we've really been interested in, kind of like drawing those practices into the kind of high art space. For example, a duct maker from Western Sydney who's, you know, meticulous Pittsburgh seam jointed creations were put on display as part of a City of Sydney laneway art festival. And we're really interested in how the kind of the making of things can bring people together in these really interesting and unusual configurations of relationships. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was just thinking this morning, actually, walking back from dropping my car off for a service, how there are so many people that think they don't have an appreciation of art or they're not artists or they're not creative. And yet you... You've just nailed it there, talking about these tradespeople who are meticulous about the finish of their work. And they truly are artists as well. Yeah. They just don't recognise it within themselves. Yeah, 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 massively. Newcastle has tried to transform itself, and in many ways it has. There was a time when the Lonely Planet Guide told tourists, backpackers, that Newcastle was the place to visit because of that uh, harbour front development that's there and also the beaches are fantastic and access on the light rail is terrific down Hutter Street there. Did get hit hard by COVID. In terms of the reinvention, Heidi, first of all with you, I mean you're contributing to that with this with this artwork and a development of artistic practice in Newcastle. But you're living there in Newcastle now. Do you have a sentimentality for it to reinvigorate how Newcastle is viewed? I definitely have a sentimentality for it. Um, it's a yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's um, also kind of magic, I think, in in ways with the combination of the strong industrial history and the incredible coastline, and you know, on the edges where you can find kind of untouched pockets of fern land and rainforest. Um, so yeah, it's got a it's got a magic to it for sure. And it really also, I think, punches above its weight in terms of culture. There's so many practicing artists and architects here, and um, mm. it's mm. a really, yeah, it's a really alive place. <laughs> and Hugo, you know, you've moved down from the Blue Mountains a couple of years ago, still hoping for that Newcastle Art Gallery to open there in the middle of the CBD. But for you too, are you feeling as if Newcastle has got a lot more to offer, or do you think it's a bit of a hidden gem now in terms of artistic practice? I'd echo everything that Heidi said. You know, we're we're new to the place. I guess I just have some reservations about being the kind of vanguard of gentrification of of Newcastle as well because 
it does have really its own culture and identity and so- somehow like how how you can have both i guess like how things that are beautiful here can be maintained while also providing more more opportunity for cultural makers and for traditional makers i guess to all have a place within the kind of the new newcastle that's emerging that's always the danger isn't it and it's seen everywhere where perhaps artistic types if i can call people like you that move into areas change the cultural perspective on a location it becomes very attractive then and the gentrification mm. kicks in i guess that's what you fear most yeah exactly yeah because you know then you kind of lose what's special about the place and you know ultimately the artistic types can't then re- afford to remain there um, yeah yeah it is that perennial problem isn't it yeah now, the Dance of the Remediators, this installation runs till February 11th. Obviously, you are working on something else for after that. What's coming up for the two of you in collaboration? Yeah, we've got a few things in the pipeline um, this year. So, yeah, an exciting um, public art commission in Western Sydney, which is great because we're just kind of going back to our roots. Yeah, as well as um, the we're still working on a long-term project um, for the Dank Street south precinct in um, waterloo sydney so that's a where we've developed this i guess long-term durational public artwork so that is also continuing in some form so the future is looking pretty good for you both yeah it's interesting how things develop over time and kind of boil you know kind of simmer along and then and then become something more. It's a remarkable installation, The Dance of the Remediators, and, and I wish sometimes that a podcast could have pictures to go with it because it is all about the art that you create, and yet we've had this enormous conversation about the philosophy of industrialisation, how you've actually realised that in the lockup, using a space which was never, ever designed to be an artistic space, and yet over the past decade or so has transformed itself into that. I think it is yet another remarkable installation that the two of you have put together. And the story that you've tried to tell, although it's not ambiguous, can be considered that by so many people who come to visit it. Not sure what to take away, but you certainly have strong views on what they should take away. And I really do appreciate your time on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks. That's Heidi Axelson and Hugo Moline talking about the dance of the remediators at the lockup in Newcastle, running, as you heard, until the 11th of February. And you'll find more details at thelockup.org.au. And you can register your interest for the artist talk and closing event on the 11th at that website as well. Links to that and the transcript of this edition can be found at our website at www.insidethegallery.com.au. Thanks for listening. This is series number six of this podcast. We're now six years young. And that's thanks to you. And of course, thanks to the Australian Arts Channel as well. Until the next episode, I'm Tim Stackpole. Bye-bye for now.